There is always a purpose and a plan. And you never know what's going to happen when you just allow yourself to be used of God. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching the Word of God with truth right from the Bible. For more information, go to corechurchla.org. That's corechurchla.org. Today, we are picking up in our study in John chapter 4 in a message titled Divine Appointment. Now, appointments, as you know, are defined in a dictionary as an arrangement to meet someone. It's a meeting or an engagement that's set at a specific time. Now, we all have appointments. Some we long for, while others we absolutely dread. We love the ones that benefit us, like an appointment with the boss after a record year of sales, knowing that a raise is in the air. You ladies, you also look forward to hair appointments, followed by the makeover at the mat counter. Why? Because you're so excited about the new you. But most of the time, appointments mean two things. One, we're going to be stuck in a waiting room. And number two, it's definitely going to cost us some money. Yes, we all have unwanted but necessary appointments. Doctor's appointments when we get sick. Dentist appointments when we have a toothache. We set appointments to service our cars. You know, that's going to cost some money. And now we can even set an appointment at the DMV. Yes, there are appointments that we look forward to. And then there's those other appointments that we despise. But there's another kind of an appointment. It's the kind that many of us have encountered at least once, but yet God wants us to encounter it many more times. And what is that? That is an encounter with the Lord himself. Appointments that he makes with us. Well, that is a foundation. We're going to continue now our study through the Gospel of John. And we'll consider three points in light of our title a divine appointment. Number one, a determined stop. God determined to stop at a particular place because of one person. It was a divine appointment. Number two, a desperate life. We're going to look at a woman whose life was in total desperation and God made time for her. Number three, an undeniable change. Because he spent time with this broken woman, it changed her from the inside out, and we'll see what that caused in her life. Well, let's look at our first point, a determined stop, as we read together, as we start in John chapter 4, of course we'll pick up in verse 1. It says, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, and we looked at that last time, remember, Jesus was down, and they were baptizing up the road from John the Baptist. Anyway, picking up in verse 3, he left Judea, and he went away into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar near a parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So we'll stop there for a moment. Now, notice it said in verse 4 that Jesus, he had to pass through Samaria. King James Bible says he must need go through there. It's like he had to pass. He had the need to go there. Now, why did he have the need to pass through there? 
because Jesus had a predetermined appointment that he was simply not willing to miss. Think about that. Of all the places that Jesus, the God-man, could have gone, he chose to go where most Jews would never consider going, and that was Samaria. Why? Because the Samaritans were Jews that had been captured by the Assyrians all the way back in 722 B.C., They moved to Samaria with other prisoners from Babylon, from other various nations. And that's when these particular Jews intermarried with all these other nationalities. And because of that, they were considered sellouts. They were considered impure and half-breeds. Thus, they were abandoned. They were forsaken as heathens by their fellow Jews. They were no longer allowed to marry back into Jewish families for They had tainted their bloodline. Therefore, they were restricted from all social interactions with the rest of the Jews. It was forbidden for a Jew to even mention the name Samaritan. They were considered as just those that would be used to stoke the fires of hell. It was considered despicable to even speak of them. Yet, Jesus was so much different. Because Jesus, the God-man, was not filled with any prejudice. His love is consistent all the way through the Old Testament into the New Testament. In fact, when he created the Jewish race with Abraham all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, listen to what he told Abraham. He says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God's very purpose of raising up the Jewish people to be the bearers of light, the bearers of his truth, of his word, it was for one specific reason, to bear that light to all the nations of the world. But yet, some of the Jews said, no, this is mine. This is mine. We're not sharing it with anybody. But that's not what God's desire was. In fact, God tells us in the New Testament in Galatians 3.28, he says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And although man, with our sin nature, we can harbor hate and we can harbor prejudice for years. It can be passed down from our parents. Our parents hated a certain race of people. And so we hate them too for no reason. But Jesus does quite the opposite. Jesus disarms hate. He disarms prejudice, replacing it with love. Should we not as all believers do the same? Never holding a man's skin color or a woman's skin color or the shape of their eyes against them. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Now notice in verse 6, it said that Jesus was wearied. Now, That's an interesting word in the original language because it's not that he was just tired and weary. It was like he felt to the point of like being beat up. Have you ever felt that way? I mean, you're just spent. I mean, it's like when I go out and play basketball sometimes, I'll play like three or four games. But then there's other times I'll play like six or seven games. And then, I mean, I'm just spent. I have run up and down this court so many times. I mean, there's just no energy left. And so I was doing that a couple weeks ago, and then I came home and laid uh, tile on our, or I should say stone on our fireplace. And by the end of that day, I mean, I couldn't even like move. It's just, it's beyond just being tired. You're just completely spent. And yes, even though Jesus was fully God, 
He was also fully man, and he subjected himself to the limitations of a man at times when it came to his stamina. And what a great example, though, Jesus is to us, for there are many times when we, quote, don't feel like serving God, right? It's like, I'm too tired. You know, God God nudges you in your heart. It's like, "I'm, I'm tired. It's like, well, okay. Well, Jesus was tired. He was spent, but there's always a purpose in the plan. And you never know what's going to happen when you just allow yourself to be used of God. Now, my youngest daughter, Mary, she taught at the women's retreat. And, you know, she's been around here and her husband's taught here in my place at times, Jason. And it's like, so they went to Israel with harvest. And so my daughter had this great idea. Well, I'm going to go with my husband to Israel and I'm going to take our 18-month-old son. They were going to leave their nine-year-old and we were going to watch him a week. And the other, uh, you know, grandparents were going to watch him a week while they were gone. But they were going to take their 18-month-old. And, of course, my wife and me were saying, well, I don't know if that's a great idea, but... They, she was going to take him. So she gets over there. Well, the baby gets sick. So they fly 15 hours to get to Israel. They get there. The baby gets sick. It's like, I mean, just everything, just what are we going to do? So she decides to come back. So she has to leave the tour. So she gets into a van with this one guy that was kind of following the whole tour around to get her back to the hotel so she could pack her suitcase and what have you to come back. And someone had told her as she was getting in the van, oh, this guy's a Christian. Now, his name is Allah, and he's an Arab. And so my daughter's like, okay. So she gets in there kind of having small talk. And so she goes, well, so I hear you're a Christian. And Allah's like, well, my parents were Greek Orthodox. So now here you have a guy named Allah who's an Arab, and his parents were Greek Orthodox. He's just like, okay, we've got the Heinz 57 going here. So my, so my, my daughter's like, oh, okay, so... Uh, well, tell me about that. He goes, well, I've just been really stirred inside to learn about Jesus. It's like, I want to read about him. Like, okay, so you don't know anything about Jesus. Well, no, not really. Okay, well, then you're not a Christian. You know, it's like, you don't even know about him. So, so all of a sudden, she just feels moved to start sharing with him. Now, my daughter's been married for, I don't know, like 12 years, 13 years, whatever it is. And she's fully taken on the job of being a wife and a mother. And she homeschools her, her kids. I mean, just, you know, the whole deal. So she's fully into this. But there was a day when, as my daughter was growing up, that she was a street witnessing machine. When she turned like 16 years old, I remember the day that it happened. We were down in New Zealand. We were in this place called Rotorua. And we were sitting there and we were out witnessing in the streets. And I remember being on this corner in Caddy Corner. She was on this other side. And up to that point, she had been pretty kind of mellow in her faith. But something happened to her on that trip in New Zealand. And I remember looking across the way and there's these three big Samoan guys that she was just preaching a gospel to, you know, because my daughter's like, you know, 90 pounds, you know, soaking wet. And she's just going and, they, and these guys are bowing their heads and giving their life to Christ. I'm just looking at her like, oh my goodness. And from that point on, I, she has probably led hundreds of girls to Christ. I, it's just, I've taken her all over the place, Australia, New Zealand, you know, all over the United States. And she's a street witnessing machine. Well, all of a sudden, it just kind of came back on her. And the Lord's just like, you need to share that gospel with Allah. <laughs> so she just goes for it and just starts sharing. And she said to him, what if right now, on the way back to the hotel, we get into a massive car wreck and we both die? Where would you go? And he goes, I have no idea. And it scares me. The next life scares me. I don't know what would happen to me. And then she just shared how Christ came and paid the price for him and laid his life down. And Allah, right there in the van, gave his life to Jesus Christ. It's like, wow. 
What a, what a blessing. The point is this. It's like we need to take the opportunities that God gives us. Yes, Jesus, he had to pass through Samaria. He had a divine appointment. And he wasn't going to miss that employment that he had on hold for this girl from the foundation of the world. Just like he also has appointments for you and me here today. See, that's why he wants us in church. That's why the Bible says, don't forsake the assembling of the brethren because God wants to speak to us. And if we're not in a place where we have ears to hear, in a place where we can shut out all other things, how are we going to hear the voice of God? See, God wants to be part of our lives. God wants us to make right decisions based on what his desires are. He wants us to have a biblical worldview. Why is that? And what is that? What is a biblical worldview? It's a worldview that takes its perspective from what God has established in his word. That's what he wants us to be thinking. Like our thinking goes through the filter of the Bible. It's not what the news agency says. It's not what CNN, MSNBC, or Fox News. It's like, no, what does the Bible say? That is our grid that we have a perspective from. Remember, and let's not ever forget this, that God's plan... And his purpose for us is far better than our own plan and our own purpose for our own lives. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says, For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but for sanctification. We live in an impure world that has impure things all around us. But yet God says, I have called you for sanctification or literally to be set apart from the world. Where people look at us and say, look, I know you live in this world. You live where I live. You work where I live. But yet you're different. You don't live like I live though we live in the same city and we work at the same place. But why does God want us set apart? Well, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. Isn't that a great verse? How many people are familiar with that verse in Jeremiah 29, 11? Most of you, because it's an awesome verse. It's like, think about it. God is saying, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. But did you know that that verse that he's quoting to them in Jeremiah 29, 11 was not for them? It wasn't for them because the people of God had forsaken God at this point. So this future and a hope was not for any of them right there. Why? Because they were getting ready to be captured by Babylon and taken into captivity for 70 years. This was a promise to them that after they get to the woodshed, after they get spanked for 40 years for walking in rebellion and blowing God off, that their next generation that comes back to Israel, then God says, I have a plan for you because your parents didn't listen to it. Because the generation before you blew off my statutes, my commandments. And so this is for those of you when you get back from the spanking. When you get back from the woodshed, which brings up our second point. Now it's the desperate life in steps. The woman, Jesus had an appointment with a woman. This woman was filled with emptiness. This woman was longing for life. This woman was seeking a reason for living. This woman was not just any woman But she was a Samaritan woman, and not just any Samaritan woman that was looked down upon by all other women. She was an immoral Samaritan woman who was scorned by her own people who are looked down by everyone else. So she is like the least of the least of the least. 
She is the bottom of the barrel completely. Because of her own choices, because of the bad things that she has done in her life. For she had become an outcast and looked down upon and rejected by her own culture and society. Yet, that did not stop this preordained appointment made from the God of heaven who loved her in spite of her. I I wonder if there's any among us who need to hear that very thought right now of just how much God loves you. He can't stand your sin. He hates your rebellion. The fact that you continue to do things that are outside of his will, it's obnoxious to him. He cannot understand why you simply won't live in the way that he wants you to live. But in spite of all of that, God loves you. He has a love for you that is just unbelievable. It's like, how do you even grasp onto this? But there's a great love that God has for us. Maybe you, like this woman, are somewhat of a social outcast. Maybe you're kicked to the curb by some people in your circle of life. Or maybe you're not like that. Maybe you look great on the outside. You look simply marvelous. Maybe you're accepted where you work. You're accepted where you live. Yet what about on the inside, though? Maybe that tells a completely different story. Maybe you struggle with guilt and and loneliness on the inside. Maybe you've learned how to simply mask over your true feelings so really what you present to people that are around you is not really what is happening on the inside. It's the little charade that you're playing with everyone. Well, if that describes you, then you will be able to completely relate with this Samaritan woman. Yes, Jesus, he had to pass through Samaria. Because this woman, like every one of us, is very important to God. So he wasn't going to miss his appointment. She doesn't even know she has. She doesn't even know it. But God knew it, and he said it, and years passed. Yes, he had to pass through there. Let's read again, picking up now in verse 7. Chapter 4, verse 7 says, Now there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is that you, being a Jew, ask for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Like, I can't even believe you're talking to me. And then you're asking me to give you a drink? Here the disciples, as we just read, they're gone. You know, we've already read that Jesus is tired and weary. The disciples are in trying to buy some food. And Jesus, man, he's burned out. He is just, you know, spent. Yet he reaches out to this woman who's been ravaged. This woman who's been beat down by life itself. It was brought on again by her own bad choices. Yet she shows up right on time. Right on time. Verse 7 says it was the sixth hour which is noontime. It's the heat of the day. Now, why is this woman out carrying a big old pitcher to draw water in the heat of the day? This is kind of a desert region here. It could be 100, 105 degrees there. Most women would draw their water in the morning or in the evening when it was still cool. Yet again, this is a woman of scorn. She was probably isolated by, her, by the other women who rejected her. 
Because again, she's a social outcast. And who knows how much public ridicule she's already had to endure from the other women on a daily basis. All the whispering behind her back. Oh, here she comes. Oh, here's the little hussy. All of these things. So she doesn't want to deal with it anymore. So I'll go out in 100 degree weather to draw my water. Just started to deal with all these other women. All the sly comments. And now, as she's approached in this well, as she comes up to it, that was normally abandoned here at the heat of the day, it was now occupied by a man sitting on its edge. His eyes must have pierced right through her. As, she, as he said to her, yeah, give me a drink. I wonder what the first thing she thought when Jesus said that to her. Maybe she was thinking to herself, I have been abused and bullied by men my entire life. Just who does this arrogant Jew think I am? His little servant, his little slave girl. Maybe in her heart she was thinking, hey, why don't you get your own drink of water? It's not my day to serve you. (laughs) It's like that could have been what she was thinking totally. Well, we're not told what she was thinking, but what does she say? She says this, you know, you Jews have nothing to do with the Samaritans. And yet you're asking me for a drink. It's like, you know, like, really? Are you serious? Notice Jesus, without even missing a beat, he says to her in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Whoa. Oh, if she only would have known who it is that's talking to you. He's the very source of living water. He is the great I am. He's the true giver of life itself. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth who's now standing right in front of you, ready to give her a fresh drink of life. I wonder if when we pray, do we understand who it is that we're really praying to? Here she has a conversation going on with the creator and she has no clue, none. But I wonder if we have a clue who we really go to when we're praying to the Lord himself. Do we understand when we get in our prayer position, that could be driving to work when you turn the radio off and you just start praying. It could be in the bedroom. It could be sitting on a couch. It could be sitting at the kitchen table. Whatever you do when you pray. But do you really understand whose presence that you are entering into when we lift up our cares, when we pray for the issues of our life? See, it was Jeremiah the prophet in the Old Testament that knew exactly who God was. Listen to how he described him in Jeremiah 32, 17. He says, ah, Lord. He says, behold, thou hast made the heavens and the earth with thy great outstretched power and by thy outstretched arm. And he says, and nothing is too difficult for you. See, before we go before the Lord, we should understand who it is that we're going to. And when you're going with your very tough problem, oh God, how am I going to pay my electric bill? We have to understand, who are you approaching? The one who has invented everything and created it from scratch. He is the one who is able to meet every need that you could possibly ever have. But yet, it's like we must approach him in his holiness. Oh Lord, you're the creator of the heavens and the earth. Oh my goodness. Oh, if we could only grasp how the God of heaven stands by us in our private prayers. If we could only grasp his great love. If we could only grasp his his eternal perspective for us. His all-knowing wisdom. Maybe that would cause us to have a holy reverence. To consider exactly what we're praying for before we pray for it. 
Maybe some of the things that we pray for should never even be brought into his audience. But then there's other things that should be. And we need to be patient in waiting upon him. How can we be demanding him? Oh, Lord, you promise I got to have it right now. It's like, really? Where's the reverence? Where's the awe of his wonder? Always seeking for his will to unfold and not ours. Oh, God, your will be done, not mine. How could I dare ask of this? Lord, your will be done over mine because I think I need this, but I might need something completely different than this. Lord, your will be done. I give my life into your care because I know you love me. That's all the time we have for our message. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app. Available on iOS and Android. Core Church is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA one word, that's Core Church LA, to 77977. And remember, there's a God in heaven who loves you.